Welcome to our Through the Bible study here on Bible In-Depth Network with Alex. In our study, we look at the context of Scripture and how it applies to our daily lives. We also believe that there's no limitation to the revelation of the Word God. Let's study together today. Mr. Presbyter God, I hope you're safe. I hope the Lord has kept you safe and sound. This is a day that the Lord has met shall rejoice and we shall be glad in it thank you for joining us for our time of the study of the word of god and uh we are handling the book of matthew by the grace of god we are on chapter nine and we looked at eight verses of this chapter and today i want us to continue with the verse nine of this chapter nine and it starts by saying and jesus went on from there he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Uh, from the things that we read just in these few lines, first of all is amazement. That when Jesus says, follow me, this man does not ask questions. He follows him. Direct. That's how much power Christ had. That when he tells Matthew, follow me, Matthew does not have to care about what is left in the booth. We are not told whether he closed the booth. We are not told how much money he had collected that was right there with him in the booth. But uh, from, from reading and from uh, the books of history that we read, the location where he was, where Matthew used to collect, he mostly acted as a, a customs officer and uh, he would pick in the money that is coming from the imports because that's the, in the area they were was a region in which there was so much import coming in. So he would collect the taxes in that place. And when Jesus comes and he saw him, because there the, the are things that are even special, like of all the people, of all the 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 tax collector's booths that were there. He saw Matthew. You know, there are days where Christ is intentional on you. There are days which are yours and all the attention is coming to you. There were so many tax collectors in Israel at that time. But there's a reason why it is Matthew. There's a reason why God picks on you at a given time for a given purpose in life. There's a reason why God decides to say, you are my focus today. And sometimes we're asking questions, why me? Why me? Why is it me? Why, why is it that I'm the one that is in the limelight right now? Why is it I'm the one that is being picked to, to lead this, this ministry or lead this event? Sometimes God looks on you and says, today, it's your day. And it does not matter. Sometimes you are not even worthy. You may not be the worthy candidate, just like Matthew is here. And Jesus saw him. And he's seated in his workplace. Yeah, God can visit you in your workplace. Where Matthew, where Jesus finds Matthew, is not in a church. No, he finds him in his workplace. That is where he was working from. So this business of saying that you only find God in a church is not really true, because even at the workplace, he can see you. Even at the workplace, he can find you. Even by the way, the things we do at our workplaces, he will see us there. He will see what we do there. And he's interested in us. 
while we are there. So he finds him there and he tells him, follow me. He doesn't describe and say, I'm Jesus, the Messiah. He doesn't give a brief introduction about himself. He doesn't give him his CV. He doesn't tell him, you know, these 12 you see behind me have been following me because I called them in the past few months. No. He just tells him, follow me. And when he says, follow me, you listen. When he says, follow me, there is nothing that stops you from following him. It doesn't matter how many... uh, I don't know what currency they were using, but let me use dollars. I don't know how many dollars were in that tax booth, but it does not matter. When Christ says, come, you come. You leave behind the things that may appear worthy and so expensive and so valuable to you, and you follow Christ. When Christ calls you out, you might have to leave those friends of yours that you think are valuable. You might have to leave. Sometimes it's the workplaces that you have to leave. This workplace was valuable in that time. To be a tax collector, of course, there's a lot that came with it that we shall see shortly. But he leaves behind everything in the tax booth. He leaves behind value, wealth in the tax booth and follows Christ. When it's time to follow Christ, there are things that we have to leave behind. We do not go with them. When Jesus has called, we do not ask questions. When Jesus has called, we follow him. And that's exactly what Matthew does in this context. Then it appeared, it happened again that as Jesus, then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And what is going on here? After they've picked Matthew, the next stop is his house. I'm going to eat at your house. Jesus makes a decision to come to your house and be there. And while he's there, I think this shocked so many of them that as they pick out Matthew from his tax booth, the rest see along. And Matthew now is sending invitations and saying, guys, Jesus is coming to my house. This man who has been healing people, this man who's been preaching the good news, this man who's being called the Messiah is coming to my house and I'm a tax collector. I am a tax collector. Tax collectors were also known as sinners, categorized as sinners. And uh, he, he rallies his friends. He's come, fellow sinners as they call us, because this great man is dining at my house. He's going to eat at my house and I need you all to come and be there with me. So they go and sit. Yeah, I don't know what was going on in the minds of the disciples because some of them had their ideas as well. and wondering, okay, how come we are seated on the same table with these tax collectors? How come we are seated on this table with these sinners? But they did not say it because it's not mentioned here in scripture. I'm just wondering, did they have such thoughts? But verse 11 tells us when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? They are asking and they are wondering. The Pharisees always followed Jesus and wanted to know what is he doing? What's his program? What is on his uh, program today? And on that day, his program had tax collectors and sinners and I'm going to sit with them on the same table and I'm going to have a meal with them. Now, the Pharisees come out and ask, 
the disciples why is he eating with the tax collectors and with the sinners and the people of this nature like Matthew were not really viewed very well in Israel because first of all they were supporting the colonialists who at that time were Romans yeah and uh, what is happening here is that he is sitting with people who may be categorized as those who are with our oppressors by the, the very many. So Matthew and all his colleagues were known for corruption. Yeah, They were always making sure that they earn profit. They make use of their jobs and earn profit at the expense of the Israelites. And uh, they were objects of hatred. People hated them to the limit. Their morality was so uh, questionable. And you, you saw that the people did not really like them. They would do all extreme measures, by the way, to get their taxes out of you. If it meant taking you to jail, they would take you to jail. If it meant, uh, in some occasions, they would beat up people yeah, to get money out of them. There are cases that are reported of those who were even killed. Yeah, There are cases where people would actually just leave their home areas and go away because taxation was so high and these guys had brutal methods of collecting these taxes. So they were t- they, they caused people to leave their homes and run away and go and stay far off because of taxes. So they were not loved. They were hated by the people. And uh, the, the word Sina was most obviously going to be associated with any tax collector because of what they used to do. And uh, as far as people saw them, they were beyond salvation. With the way they used to act, they were beyond salvation, according to the people. And there is nobody, there is no prophet, there is no one, no leader who, who would be allowed or who would be seen socializing with such people because they were uh, believed that these guys are out of the salvation bracket. Nobody can save them. They are rogues. They are terrible. And they are beyond helping. And uh, of course, even the fact that they they kept uh, collecting taxes across the region, and this region didn't have only uh, the Israelites, it also had Gentiles right there. These tax collectors were always seen to be ceremonially unclean because they used to go to uh, the Gentiles as well to collect uh, taxes. So these are the people that Jesus is attending to. And this is, when, when they come out later on and we see they, they're saying, they are calling Jesus a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is not uh, a, a praise, or something that they are praising him, but rather it's like an insult, that he's a friend of these thieves. He's a friend of these collaborators. He's a friend of these people who torture others. That's what they tag him, because they knew of the people of uh, of, uh, they knew of these tax collectors as people who terrify uh, the rest. So they are hated, and these are exactly the people Jesus is seated with. You know, sometimes we disqualify people, probably because of what they've done, or how their lives look like, or the things they appear to do, and we disqualify them and say, no, these guys are not worthy. But Jesus does not have limitations. Jesus will love he will have mercy to the one that he wants to have mercy. 
he will save the one he wants to save. And this is the good news. He came to save everybody. So I cannot come out and say, no, there's a limit to who Jesus can save. He can save each and everybody. And now, this is what is happening to these tax collectors. They are seeing something before their eyes that they've never seen. They're seeing welcome that they've never seen. And we need to make this clear that the way we treat those who we want to join, the way we treat those who we want to get saved, the way we treat those who we want to enter the kingdom of Christ is very important if we are segregative. If we are always judgmental about them, we may not achieve anything. And Jesus here is not taking that. He says, I will attend to everybody. And when Jesus heard this, he said, Is it not those who are healthy, who need a physician, but those who are sick? He's saying, you Pharisees, since you're healthy, you don't need me. Because it's only the people who are sick that need the doctor. It's only the person that is sick that will need a doctor. If you're not sick, you don't need one. And that's the same thing he's telling them here. Okay, you guys are well. You're not sinners. It's okay. It's not you that I've come for. I'm interested in these ones. These ones that you are calling sinners because that is the purpose that I have come. And I want to let you know somebody who might be out there listening. And they've taken you out of church. I said, you're not worthy being here anymore. Because of what you did, because probably you even got pregnant, or because you did something that appeared so bad. Jesus is interested in you because it's you that is sick, it's you that is that has fallen, it's you that Christ is interested in. Nobody can take the love of Christ away from you. He still has concern for you. So even though you may be a sinner, he's interested in you and he has great concern in you. And he says, But go and learn. What this means is now telling them, Pharisees, you've read so many books, but I want you to go and sit down and learn about this. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Yes, you do lots of sacrifices. Yes, you do lots of rituals. Yes, you even fast twice a week, dear Pharisees, but I desire compassion. Where is the compassion? That you love them, that you attend to them, that you sit them at the table and you speak to them. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He says, I did not come for you who feel you're perfect. And yet we all know that nobody is perfect. Everybody at one point, uh, you you fall. But he is interested in those who who are sinners that he may help them. And... uh, this is what Jesus is pointing out right now. He is pointing to the fact that my mission here is to save the sinner, which is you and I. And my mission here is to make sure and ensure that you enter the salvation. That is what he brings and that is what he desires. And whenever I'm self-righteous, whenever I'm trying to show that I have no sin in me, then he says that you, for you, I have not come for. Of course, eventually the sinner gets into a righteous position and he lives a life that is worthy and righteous. That is what he's interested in. But the one who knows that indeed I am a sinner, but then they claim they're righteous. That's not the person that is sharing this with. Verse 14 now switches to a totally different uh, 
discussion. Then the disciples of John came to him. Remember, at this time, John the Baptist still exists. John the Baptist had his own disciples. He had people who were following him. He had people who were listening to him. Yeah, And uh, they came to Jesus now and they're asking, Where do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. They are, they are wondering, why is it that for you, Jesus, your disciples do not fast? Remember, everybody had his crew. John also had his crew. Uh, people who would listen to him, just like it is even today. Everybody has their man of God, uh, the one they listen to. yeah. And they will even start asking questions such as this. Why is it that for us at our church we do this and for you at yours you do not do that? But everybody has a way they do things. Everybody has a different call upon their life and the things that they are meant to do. And for Jesus, these, these um, disciples of John are coming to ask, why is it that for your case... Your disciples are not fasting, but for us, we fast, and even the Pharisees also fast. Fasting, of course, had become a widespread practice, yeah, a Jewish practice that was widespread at that time. When it comes to the Pharisees, for them, they would fast twice a week. <laughs> By all terms, you have, as long as you're a Pharisee, you will have to fast twice a week. Did this bring holiness? Because we see them, they are the ones who plotted the death of Christ. Did that bring holiness, that the fact that they were fasting? You know, you can always be fasting, but you're the one who hurts others. You can always be fasting, but you're the one who speaks negatively all the time. You can be fasting, but then you're the type that is always creating wars in every side. Yeah, You are fighting people. You are causing conflict. Does that fasting help? It is just like the one of the Pharisees. They would fast twice a week. But when it came to show their life, when their life was brought out in full, in, in full force, you would see how uh, negative these people were. So they used to fast twice a week. And of course, the disciples of John, probably because they are saying we are like the Pharisees, for us we fast. I don't know if for the disciples of John fasted twice, but it shows that they were in this practice as well. And fasting, of course, was very important to them because it's a practice that you would join with prayer uh, or with penitence. And it, 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 it must have been unusual for disciples to avoid it, Yeah, that you're a disciple and you are not doing this. So it was unusual. That's the reason that they come to ask. And they're asking Jesus because he's the teacher. And as a teacher, he's regarded to be responsible for the behavior of his disciples. When you are a leader, the actions of your people, are always placed on you. When they do good, then it's placed on you. When they do bad, then you have to answer. That's why it's always hard to be a leader because if there are people behind you, their actions are placed on you and you have to be responsible to answer for them. And that's exactly what they do here to Jesus because he's responsible for the behavior of his disciples and he's being asked, why aren't they fasting. Jesus, it's pro possible because earlier on, as we read in the book of Matthew, in, uh, I think uh, chapter 6, verse 16 to 18, around there, that uh, Jesus told his disciples to fast privately. Remember, he told them, when you're fasting, you need to anoint your head, Yeah, be clean, look good, don't be gloomy, don't, don't go informing the entire world that you're fasting. That is something that the Pharisees, of course, did. 
letting people know that they first, probably even the disciples of John would show it, but he had taught his disciples to privately first. It doesn't have to be pronounced on the on the community speakers, yeah, that guys, we, we are fasting right here. You, you don't have to show it. And this is something that he might have told his disciples, or he actually did tell his disciples they knew, and they could even have been fasting privately. But uh, since it was not public, and it wasn't being seen, uh, it may have led to an assumption that these guys were not fasting at all. And it's very important for you to know that when people are when people are not showing you, it doesn't mean they don't do it. You know, there are people who have judgment of all types. They never see you. They say, we don't see you praying. But they're not there in your room when you close the door, just like Jesus said, that close your door and talk to your father in secret. And they say, you never pray because they never see you coming out to pray. That's not your interest. You do what God tells you. Now, these guys did not see the disciples first, but then Jesus answers them and says, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. Of course, this is being understood to them because in their culture, the when when there was a wedding, the feasting would take seven days. The bridegroom would be among them and they would be eating and drinking. You are not supposed to fast during that time when you're with the bridegroom because it is time to eat, rejoice, celebrate. Yeah, And everybody who has come along, as well as the attendants, you can't be fasting. Then the party won't go on. So he's just referring to that as well, that if the bridegroom is with them, they will fast when the time has come and he is gone. And he's saying, I am with them here. He's saying, I mean, what what you're fasting to get or the one who is to send it is with you. So when I'm gone, probably they will have room to do that. That's what he responds to them and says, but no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment for the patch pulls away from the garment and the worst tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wine skins otherwise the wine skins burst and the wine pours out and the wine skins are ruined but they put new wine into fresh wine skins and both are preserved of course old white skins uh in this case they have already been stretched yeah to full capacity by the wine that has been within them and it has been fermenting within them so if they are then filled with unfermented wine. It would likewise expand, and uh, the old wine skins, which are, have already been stretched to the limit by the wine that was there before, would break. So, uh, this is the reference that he gives to them, and there, uh, this is just something to help you understand that there are some things that cannot work. There are some things that are of the past, and you cannot put the new in them. If you put the new in them, they'll be destroyed. There are some practices that could have worked then, but if you bring another generation into them, they will not work. They'll just break it down. And for what Jesus does, he's changing lots of thoughts. He's changing lots of things in his time of ministry here. He's bringing a new identity. And the old will not understand it. That's what we have to know. 
when Jesus comes into your life, it's new things. And when it's new things, everything will have to be new. Your life will have to be new. Your character will have to be. You need to do your best that you do not retain the old. Otherwise, when the new comes into the old, then the old shall be broken down. It shall crumble because it cannot hold onto that. And old life, an old life does not work when you get to the salvation that Christ has brought. He's interested in you changing. He's interested in us transforming. He's interested in us taking everything at a new slate. And this is what I have to tell you today as we conclude. God has deep interest in us. Jesus came and he died for us that we may have life. The old life is gone. The old life is gone. And when it's gone, we're not getting the new one and placing it to the old one that they should work together. Yeah, The new one is not going to work in the old skin. The salvation that we pick, that we gain from this change, from this acceptance to walk with the Lord has to be followed by a new lifestyle, not the old lifestyle. And I'm not going to say that I love Jesus, that I walk with Jesus, yet I am mixing the two. I'm not going to be lukewarm. I will have to be perfect. That's what Jesus demands of his people here. Perfection. If it is new, let it be new. Let it all be new. Do not retain some of the old and then bring in the new. No. Let it all be new. Because that's what he desires from us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for you love us and you care for us. And Lord, we pray that you help us do according to your will. We help us to, we pray that you help us lead a new life in everything. And let's put the old away. Because with it, there is nothing that we can achieve, but rather with the new things that you bring into our lives. Then goodness and mercy shall surround us all the days of our lives. We exalt you. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Thank you for joining us for our study today. We believe that the world of God is alive and new each day. Open your heart and let God speak to you. You can also access our teachings through our Podbean channel or reach us through our website, bibleindepth.com. 